and we ask that you would bring it all together as he shares with us this morning. Amen. 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 Better make sure I behave myself this morning. Not only is my boss sat amongst you, but my son is also on the mixing desk. It's quite a humbling experience. Okay. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the lessons that I have had to learn, and I keep having to learn it and relearn it, and will probably be learning it until I go and be with the Lord, is quite simply this. I am called, and you are called, to, in effect, have skin like a rhino. In fact, I'll go further than that. To be almost, as it were, armor-plated. When you read passages like Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, and it talks about putting on the full armor of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the belt of truth. Make sure your feet are shod in readiness. Make sure you wear the helmet of salvation. And when you've done that, you pick up the shield of salvation and you get a good grip on the sword of truth. And once you've done that, don't take it off. In other words, we put this armor plate on because... The God of this world, and I say God with a small g, will attempt to undermine you at every possible opportunity. And it is a battle. At the same time, at the same time, we are called to have a heart, that secret innermost bit that is us, not just the thing that pumps blood around our body. To have a heart that is soft and ductile and malleable and gentle. The problem is, and the lesson that I have to learn, is do not get those two things round the wrong way. In other words, do not let your armour, in a sense, become soft and ductile, and yet, well, and don't let your heart get hard. I can see some of you are probably thinking, how on earth does this fit into our series on what are we building? Hopefully all will become clear. In Proverbs 28, 14, it says, He who hardens his heart... And this is the scary bit. He who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. There's not an if in there. It's almost, I wouldn't say it's a promise, but it's a statement of truth. I'm sure many of you remember that um, that Chris Bowater song, really old chorus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, your love has melted 
my heart. Jesus, 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 your love has melted my heart. You know, it's really, really important. Thanks, Meg. Oh, it's like the finest port wine, isn't it? So don't let those two things get reversed. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who amongst you, in fact, let me ask for a show of hands, who amongst you has ever started a project and not finished it. Oh, I know, and I've got to include myself in that. Any DIYers amongst you? Anybody started a project, not finished it? Yeah, yeah, I can see a few. Oh, yes, been there, done that. Well, this morning, um, we're, we're looking at this series, what are we building? And I have the, the delight this morning of, of bringing before you the book of Haggai. Um, it's, it's right at the end of the Old Testament, and it's only a two-chapter book. And perhaps if you could just stick the, the um, slide up for me, you'll be pleased to know this is a one-slide talk. And Oh, yes, excellent. So I bring this up this morning just to help you to get a context of where the book of Haggai sits in terms of, of bi- biblical history, and not just biblical history, but world history. If you come over onto this far left-hand side, in fact, it's just off the chart, but around 600 BC, and remember we're counting downwards as we go right, just off to the left, at about 600 BC, is where the story of Daniel happens, yeah? We've done a lot of timeline stuff just recently, and world changes, and it's been really good, and so I want to bring some of this to you this morning. So just to the right, just to the left, you get the whole, um, what they call the exilic period. You'll remember through the talks we've had in recent weeks how um, the Jewish nation get taken into exile for 70 years, and the 70 years comes to an end, and there's a, there's a decree that goes out, um, you can see it there on the, right on the left, under Cyrus, yeah, it's a little bit small, but, you know, just a little bit. Um, So the decree goes out under Cyrus, and the Jews return, and the intent is to rebuild the temple. Now, last week, we were talking about the rebuilding of the wall. Don't get the two mixed up, because there's a big... There's quite a big time gap in that. In fact, the building of the wall happens around about sort of two-thirds of the way across at about sort of 450-ish BC. In fact, I did put the notes, put the dates there. (laughs) Yeah. So where was I? Okay, so we pick up the story of Haggai, and Haggai is this unique guy. In fact, in this story, in in this passage... The conjecture is that actually he's an old man because he was able to look back and see something and remember something of the original old temple that got destroyed. And so as he writes this book, he's looking backwards at the former glory of what the Jewish nation was. And I pick up the story. 
I'm reading from the New King James, Book of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So let me put that into a little bit of context. There's been a gap of about 16 to 18 years. They've returned from Babylon at about 538, and Haggai's message begins in about 520. Now, to be fair to the Jews at this point, and you can track this down in the book of Ezra, to their credit, they had actually put down footings for the new temple that they were going to rebuild. But guess what? Just like us avid DIYers, they got distracted. And the project has come to a grinding halt. In the midst of all that, they've started to build their own homes, their lovely panelling on the wall, the jacuzzis, everything else. And they've lost sight of what God had called them to do through this man, Cyrus. It's a phenomenal piece of world history and biblical history. And the book of Haggai, is, it's interesting because as you go through the, the book, and it's only two chapters, and I encourage you this week to read it, you, it's unique in the sense that Haggai gives the message that people reta- re- repent and change their ways, and there's a good outcome. Quite often in, in, in a lot, with a lot of the Old Testament prophets, that's not the case. But to put it in a nutshell, their lives were in a shambles. They'd sown a lot and not harvest much. So there's little food, there's not really enough wine, there's not enough rain, and there's not enough money. The construction process is a bit of a shambles. And Haggai comes to them and he says, Consider your ways. Consider your ways, city church. Just consider your ways. Consider your ways. It's so interesting, isn't it? That when our focus, when our occupation, when everything that we are focuses on our wants and our needs, somehow the reward is never good enough. Is that a fair comment? Somebody say, yeah, that, yeah. So Haggai rocks up. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above The heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil and whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. So God says, I'm behind this. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. And as I was preparing this yesterday, I think I saw something in kind of... Technicolor, if I can use that phrase. We have the advantage. Because we are living post, Jesus has come and been and he, he's, he's, he's died. He's been raised to life. Jesus gave us a promise that he would leave the Holy Spirit to indwell us. In effect, we are a temple. Each one of you is a temple. But back then... The Holy Spirit only crops up in isolated cases. And so for the people, the presence, God's presence among them, amongst them, was through the temple. The temple was God's presence amongst them. So no temple, no presence. I was reading it yesterday and I went, yeah, kind of, I kind of get this. In verse 12, moving on, the people obey. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. So notice what happens here. The people obey. And in World Changes, we've been doing a, well, let's just try it. Obedience is better than what, World Changes? Any World Changes amongst you? Obedience is what? Better than? Sacrifice. Yes, I knew it was in there. The people obey. The people obey. And as soon as they do that, it's almost like God comes rushing out to meet them. And through Haggai, he delivers four more messages. Number one, Haggai 1 verse 13. God says this. If I get on the right page. He says this. I'm with you. I'm with you, says the Lord. I'm with you. We're aligned. I am with you. You track that phrase down, and I guarantee that in every instance where it crops up, it's, it's a call for strengthening. It's a call for great accomplishments. God says it to Moses when he's having a wobble. He's got to lead the nation out of captivity. I'm with you! 
I am with you. The great I am. Where to go? It also crops up in Jeremiah 1 verse 8, Exodus 3 verse 12. By all means, go and have a look at those. There's another thing that God says. The second thing of the four. And this is just so elegant. I read this yesterday and I'd not seen it and I was, I was undone. Haggai 2 verse 7. I'll shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That phrase, the desire of all nations, they will come to the desire of all nations. I read that in my Bible. It's got a capital D and it's got a capital A and it's got a capital N. And when you track that down, and I looked it up in a Strong's Concordance, that desire, shamda, a desire for something or someone greater. And right there, tucked in the middle of it all, is Jesus. The desire of nations. Because the great I am is with you! Oh, it did me good. Shemda. And the third thing, he says, from this day, I will bless you. In Haggai 2, verse 19. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. Which day? If you look in verse 15, just prior to that, it says. It says, and I've lost my place. From before the first stone was laid. Carefully consider from this day forward. From before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. I'm going to bless you. God has promised to bless. If we align our purposes with him might be painful. There might be some battles on the way. But God has promised to bless. Because he says, I will be with you. And the fourth thing he says in Haggai 2 verse 23. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I'll make you like a signet ring. A ring on the finger of God himself. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. I've chosen you. I've chosen you, Graham Coyle. I've chosen you, Rodney. I've chosen you, Anita and Henry. I've chosen you. 
and I'll make you like a signet ring on my finger. You think, well, hang on, you're taking that out of context, Chris. God's saying this through Haggai to Zerubbabel. But hold on a moment. When you jump forward into the New Testament, well, well, in fact, just before doing that, right at the end of the Old Testament, through the prophet Joel, it's a very well-known verse. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. If, if you take God at his word, if you're prepared to make him number one in your life, he will pour out his spirit on you. And you are a chosen people. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Those are amazing words. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And Peter develops that theme even more. He, in chapter 2, verses 5, he, he, he ties this idea of the Old Testament temple with this totally radical New Testament one. Because all they were familiar with up to that time was the Old Temple. And yet Peter says, you know what? You... And that includes us. You're living stones. You're built into a spiritual house. We're living stones. <laughs> built together to be a temple. Where the presence of God resides, not just in us, but amongst us. It was totally and utterly, utterly Radical. I, I remember, I, I think I've shared something of this story before, but it is worth repeating. I, when I was about 17, I, um, my grandfather, he, he lived on the Isle of Wight, and yet he would go off for sort of six, eight months of the year, and, and he'd go preaching around the, the Hebridean Islands, go from one end of the country to the other. This great guy, Grandpa, and he was—he must have been well into his seventies, and he a successful guy, and he just sold up everything he had, and through one of his contacts that he made up in the Highlands, he took a military flight out to the Falkland Islands, and he was basically working, gave himself to working as a as a, as a minister out there, amongst the forces, and 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 well, we know the history of the Falkland Islands. Um, there was a lot of hurt there. And he gave himself completely to that. And we went, I went to see him off. The only way you can get out there, because it's so far away, you have to go through a military flight. So we, we went down to our RAF Briars Norton. And this whole idea of temple and living stones, he preached on it. And, I, and I'll, it's not that I want to look back through rose-tinted glasses, but it's, it has stayed with me. We kind of knew when he was talking to us that Potentially, we would never see him again. We didn't actually say so, but that's exactly what happened. He, he, he died, at, died out there. 
But he went around the room and he went, you're a living stone. You are living stones. You're living stones. That's what we're called to be, living stones. Temple. I never did see him again. And uh, a few years later, um, I had the honor, my brother and I and some of my cousins, we, we, we took his took his coffin and, and, and we buried him. Um, but it's always stayed with me because he got it. He got it. <laughs> Living stones. And this morning, I can hardly touch on a topic like this without bringing into the mix the whole idea of church buildings. Um, many of you will know that we well, we rent this we rent this building on a on a Sunday morning, and we we have Lindisfarne House, and it's a fantastic resource, and God's been so faithful to us in all of that. But as I've been reading Haggai, the Holy Spirit just gets hold of you sometimes, and you can just feel Him saying, "Consider your ways, Chris. What's priority here?" And I do feel for us, it's a little bit like a springboard moment. You know, when you stood on a diving board and it's out in front of you. And you're thinking, am I really in this? Am I really going to commit? Am I really going to start running down that board, ready to project myself off the end? And this morning, I feel that check for all of us. God just saying, consider your ways. Consider your way, City Church. What's your focus here? What's the agenda? Is it your agenda or is it mine? Consider your way, City Church. The other thing I think God wants to say to us this morning is please, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. And... There's a thousand and one different ways in which we do that. We hang on to unforgiveness. We hang on to hurts. We hang on to half-truths, lies. We, we, we get things skewed and we, we don't bring it before the Lord. So don't harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. And I want to challenge you this morning. I do feel that in all of this, that God is bringing before us that challenge. City Church, are you really in this? We've talked about buildings a lot. And I feel there's that sense from the Lord where he would have us, a bit like the people in Haggai, that we align ourselves. That we really align ourselves. Because God would say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Just like he did in all those Old Testament occasions. It was a call to greatness. It was a call to something much bigger. Something better. Something that had the fingerprints and the signet ring of God upon them. Upon it. So consider your ways, City Church. Don't harden your hearts. 
And let's get aligned. Let's get aligned. Just like those people in Haggai. And if there's stuff in you this morning, if there's stuff in you that you know needs sorting out, that you know you've not addressed, don't sit on it. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to the team. Come and get free. Because there's nothing that God enjoys more than building with good, clean, living stones. I remember listening, and I'll close with this, I remember listening a few years ago to Steve Thomas, and uh, he, was, he was making some points, and he, he'd used a, a, a golfing analogy. And uh, he said, I knew that in the congregation there was, a, there, was a, there, was a, there was a guy who'd recently come to the faith in the Lord, and he was a golfer. And he said, so I, as part of my presentation, he said, we, we, I asked him a few questions because I knew he was going to give me the right answers and that it would aid my presentation and make it all the more powerful. Game on. And he said, and the one question I asked him, he said, so why would you want to make sure that the golf ball that you're playing with is nice and clean? And he said, I was expecting him to say, because if it's nice and clean, it flies nice and true, it flies nice and straight, and uh, it will go so much further. And, uh, you know, there's a time, isn't there, when you're playing golf that you want to get the bat and give the ball a good old whack. I'm not a golfer, as you can probably tell. (laughs) And he said, without even pausing to draw breath, this new convert to the faith looked him straight in the eye and he said, it's for the pure joy of using a nice, clean, shiny golf ball. (laughs) And he said, I took a step backwards and I had to say, amen. Because he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. God wants to build something with good, clean, living stones. Okay? If that's not a reason to get right before the Lord, then I don't know what is. But City Church, you've been amazing this morning. So, consider your ways. Don't harden your hearts. And let us get aligned. What that means and what that looks like and what happens, I, I've, well, I, I do, I feel like I'm, I'm off the end of that diving board. But bless you. Perhaps you'd like to just bow your heads with me for a moment. And let's, let's commit this to the Lord. Father God, you are, you're amazing. You are absolutely Amazing. You are such a good, good Father. And this morning, Lord, as we, as we read this account of your great faithfulness and great long-suffering towards your people, Lord, we can't help but just be impressed. You say what you mean and you mean what you say. And you, Jesus, are and will be the desire of all nations. And we want to win the nations, Lord. So, Father, I pray you take us, your living stones. Lord, we know that on your heart you want to see your kingdom increase. And, Lord, we would seek this morning, we want to align ourselves with you. 
Align ourselves with your purposes. Align ourselves, Lord, with your agendas and not ours. Lord, we want to align ourselves so that we are not distracted by the stuff in our lives, as important and as excellent as that may be. But we want to align ourselves, Lord, with what you've said and what your agendas are. Because when we do that, when we do that, we will have more than enough. We don't want to be a people, Lord, where we're putting money into our purses, finding that we never have enough. Or that we're putting our worship into food and yet we're never filled. Lord, we don't want to go there. So Holy Spirit, in these moments that we have together, would you come speak your truth into our our very innermost being. May our hearts be soft and open and receptive, Jesus. Amen.